0: Welcome to another episode from TFA Church. Here at TFA Church, we value people and we trust that this episode will be a blessing to you. Loving God's people. Loving God's people. And uh, you mean I have to love these people that come to this church? Come on. Love God's people. And when we say God's people, we're specifically talking about the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we're all God's creation, but we're, but we're God's child or God's children when we're born again. Okay, When we're born again, we enter into his family. And I love what, uh, what Sarah shared on, on Facebook this week, Sarah DeRocher. She shared a post. It was, uh, she was sharing a time of, from back in 2012, which was referring to four years ago. This is what she said, and I did get her permission to share this this morning. She said, four years ago today, on a Wednesday night, surrounded by women who have since become my very good friends, I gave my heart and soul to my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. I became reborn, saved from my sin, and blessed with the knowledge that no matter what happens, I am forgiven, loved, and truly blessed. Thank you, Father God. That's a great post. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. But, you know, the greatest thing was certainly salvation there and that that, that the Lord washed away our sins. And the Lord has done that for for you and I as as his children, if we've been born again, as we've been born again. But I want to hone in on one line in that post. And it says, she was saying, I was surrounded by women who have since become my very good friends. Following Jesus is all about Him, and it's all about them. Don't forget that. In fact, Jesus said it this way, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, mind, and strength, and the second is what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, wow, that's, that's a, a God I want to serve, a, a Lord that I want to follow, that we love people. We love specifically... God's people at TFA we value people so it's a renewal of bringing life to that that's why we have life groups because we love God's people and we want to see each one of us take another step of faith towards God in the right spiritual direction you know when we say we value people we say that because we believe that God values people God values people And one thing you see when you look at scripture is the reason we know that is because people were always on the mind of Jesus. People were always on the mind of Jesus. Now, if you were to have some type of computer that could see your mind right now, and we could put it up on the screen. It may be a scary thing, but we could see your mind. What would we all see? We may see that you're thinking about your children, right? Where's Billy? Where's Johnny? Where's you're thinking about your children. It may be that you're thinking about your bank account, money. Maybe you're thinking about a game later this afternoon. Maybe you're thinking about tacos. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is that you're thinking about. But if you were to, uh, to get a computer and, and look at the mind of Jesus, you know what you would see on the mind of Jesus? People. You'd see people. In fact, Jesus, when he was here, uh, he would pull people to the side. And this is what he said to Simon Peter. Peter, you're a fisherman. I'm going to make you a fisherman, someone that has fishing on your mind all the time. You are going to become a fisher of men. In other words, you're going to have people on your mind. He said, let the children come unto me. Jesus said things like, uh, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man because he was concerned about people. He sees Zacchaeus up on a tree, and he says, Zacchaeus, come. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. He, he noticed and recognized Zacchaeus, and, and uh, this short man that climbed a tree so he could see Jesus so far off, Jesus took notice of that. Because people were on Jesus' mind. and In fact, the worst, most difficult day of Jesus' life, he had people on his mind when he was hanging on the cross. He had his mother's welfare on his mind. He had the thief beside him on his mind. And the people that cursed and spat upon him and pulled his beard, and, and as he was hanging there, he said, Father, forgive them. It's because he had those individuals and those people on his mind. People were always on the mind of Jesus. And so there's a story that I want us to look at in Luke chapter 9 that kind of illustrates this. And this little story has always kind of fascinated me as well because uh, James and John were known as the sons of thunder, and they're ready to hurt somebody. All right? They're ready to hurt somebody. Watch this story. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass... And I'll uh, read it from the New King James this morning. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that's as he was about to go to heaven, uh, die for our sins, be raised from the dead and and, and, uh, go to heaven, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans. Village of the Samaritans. So he's going to go through Samaria. In fact, that's another example in John chapter 4 that he had a lady at the well, a woman at the well on his mind because he had a divine appointment that he was about to have at this well in John chapter 4. That's another example. So he's going through Samaria. He sends his messengers to prepare him for they did not, but, verse 53, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. That. That is, he wasn't planning to stay in Samaria. He was on his way to Jerusalem. And they were perhaps offended by this, that he wasn't going to just stay with them. And they didn't want pastors by. They wanted wanted people to stay. They wanted Jesus to stay with them. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they saw that the people of Samaria did not want Jesus around. They said, look, Lord, do you... Want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Some early manuscripts don't have that part, but the most reliable manuscripts do. And he says, That do you want us to call down fire from heaven just as Elijah did? But he turned and he rebuked them and he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are. That's a whole teaching right there of the Spirit of Christ living within us. But Jesus is basically rebuking James and John saying, Listen, you're trying to hurt the Samaritans. You're trying to hurt these people. I've come to bless them. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. That was his whole purpose. James and John are saying, you want us to protect you, Jesus? You know, there was one of the disciples named Simon, the what? Zealot. He was ready to take the Romans by storm and overthrow the Roman government and, and, and... This is kind of the camp that James and John were in of of saying, do you want us to come against them now because they don't want to welcome you? James and Jesus is rebuking them because they're not looking at it from Jesus' perspective and they're not looking at it through the eyes of the Lord because they were ready to hurt somebody. You ever feel that way? We're talking this morning about loving God's people. Loving God's people. We like to say at TFA all the time that you've heard me say that I love you so much I want to spend eternity with you. That's how much we should love one another at TFA. That's how much we do love one another because when we receive Christ, just as Sarah said, when we receive Christ, we receive new friends, we receive new family. And this spirit of James and John ought never to come upon you and I this morning in the family of God. It ought to be that, you know what? We take the spirit of Christ because that's what we're doing is following Jesus. So how did Jesus have people on his mind? How did Jesus love people so effectively? And how are we going to love people effectively? Well, number one, I have three of these. Number one, Jesus was able to love people so effectively because Jesus knew the heart of the Father. Jesus knew the heart of the Father. Jesus knew better than anyone else what the heart of the Father looked like. God the Father, everywhere he went, he was trying to reach people and teach people about his Father. In fact, Jesus said, I, I've done nothing unless you've shown me or unless you've given me the word. I've, I've looked to you, Father, on this earth, and, and you've get, as you've led me, I have spoken to the people. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and you'll see a a, a long parable really three different stories but but three different points that that christ makes of of these three different individuals but he's really revealing the heart of the father In luke chapter 15 verse 1 all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him to hear jesus and the pharisees and scribes complained saying this man receives sinners and eats with them thank god That's the Lord we serve. There wasn't a religious spirit about him that kept him from helping people. You know that one of the things that actually caused Jesus to be crucified by the religious leaders is because he helped people that didn't deserve it. (laughs) It's called grace. And Jesus went about helping people and he's eating with sinners and, and that's what he was accused of and So he spoke this parable. In verse 4, he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Which was lost. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner, over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. There's there's a party in heaven when, when a sinner finds Christ and repents of their sins. The angels in heaven rejoice. That gets God's attention. That is the heart of the Father. That's why we do missions That's why we love God's people, so that we are healthy and we point others to God and that we love one another because we're going to spend eternity together in heaven. And we understand that, yes, we're not perfect. Yes, we all have issues. Look to your neighbor and say, you have issues. (laughs) We all have issues. Is anyone perfect? No. No. We all have issues. But... Jesus says, that's the heart of the Father, that he goes after the one. He'll leave the 99, not alone, with a, with a shepherd. He'll leave the 99 to, in safety, and he'll go after that one. And when he brings that one home, the 99 would rejoice, let's say. I know I'm expanding that, but the, the 99 would say, there's my brother, there's my sister. We ought to celebrate big. We ought to celebrate big when, when one person receives Jesus. That's why we... Come around the baptismal tank and we, and we clap and we rejoice because of a person receiving Jesus Christ. Yeah. Then the next story, what woman has 10 silver coins? Verse 8, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, here it is again. I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Why are the angels rejoicing? Don't you you understand that they're looking to the Father? The Father's rejoicing. And the angels begin to rejoice. Not over a coin, not over a sheep, but over a person. Because they're coming home. They have been found. And then we understand the last story is the story of the prodigal son, verse 11, that a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, give me my portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided them, uh, his livelihood. He divided his livelihood. The father divided the goods and gave to the younger son, which was not culturally acceptable in that day, but the father loved the son and, and wanted to do this for him and and, and we, we know the story that, that uh, he spent all he had on, on, on uh, wild living and, and uh, sinful ways. And, and, and as he's feeding in a pig pen uh, the pods that the, the pigs eat out of, he, he comes to his senses and he says, he remembers his father. He remembers that his father is a kind man. He remembers that his father is good. And he comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to go be a slave for my, for my dad. I'm just going to go work for him because that's how good that is. I know at least he'll put me to work. And I love verse 20. But when he was still away off, his father saw him and had compassion and, rail, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This father was rejoicing that the son had come home. Jesus knew the heart of the Father. That's why he was able to love people so well. And Jesus certainly is God the Son. He was half, you know, fully man and fully God. And in his divinity, we understand he had no problem loving people. But in his humanity, I'm sure he wanted to pick up the tables more than a couple of times in the temple and and get some some minds straight and help some people think things through the right way. But he loved people so well because he knew the heart of his father was long-suffering, was patient, was kind, was giving, was generous, but yet just. See, the Bible says that Jesus was full of truth and what? Grace. He was full of truth and grace. He's the lion and he's the lamb. He's tough and he's tender. And only God can have a perfect balance of those. Is he all just? Yes. Is he all love? Yes. He never stops being just. He never stops being loved. He's all of that. And Jesus understood the heart of the Father, that sin had to be paid for, the price had to be paid for. Jesus was that perfect Lamb of God that took our sin debt and paid it in full on the cross. And Jesus understood what the plan of salvation was from the Father and the loving heart of God. And Jesus continues the story. He says that that uh, you know it was right that we should m- make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. See that that brother that was kind of self righteous and saying I never never went anywhere. That's that truth. That's that law. That's that one on that side. That hey, self righteous and the brother that was lost, the prodigal son. That's that grace. That's that. Okay, you can have it all and go see what happens, right? Truth and grace, it's that balance. It's that, that whole, that mesh. Somewhere we have to find a way in the middle in the body of Christ to not be self-righteous over here and, and just all grace over here. We have to have balance. And that's what makes the church so wonderful. That's what makes the church so wonderful because the easiest church in all the world to pastor would be a church of all law. Pastor, can we do this? No. Parents, you ever have those no days? Your kids say, "Can I have a brownie?" No. In fact, this is a no day. Everything's no today, right? Pastor, can we do this? No. Can we do this? No. That's that's the law. But but grace over here is, Pastor, can we do this? Yes. Yes. Oh, then I'm just going to do anything I want to do. No. No. See, you understand what I'm saying this morning. Jesus knew the heart of the Father. Jesus knew that the, the that God is. The only one who could be just, the only one that could be righteous, the only one that could give and watch that son, go out and blow it all and, and give him the free will and the free choice to, to come back and be able to, to say, I have sinned, Father. Please just make me one of your hired servants. But in that process, in that process, the Lord is looking, and the Lord knows. The Lord already knows, but he's looking, and he's waiting, and he's saying, come unto me, come unto me, all that who are labor, weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord knows, and when we come, he says, kill that fatted calf for those tacos that carne asada that's on the way we're going to have a feast and the angels in heaven rejoice the angels in heaven have a have a feast and a and a celebration jesus loved so big and so well because he knew his father's heart may you and i get in this book Get in His presence and renew our understanding of our loving God, our powerful God that we serve. This year in 2024, we say more in 24 because we want to know God. We want to know His heart. We want to sit, We want to hear what He says to us, and we want to follow Him where He leads us and how He guides us. I remember uh, playing in a softball tournament in Pineville in our church uh, in Leesville years ago, and and uh, this particular softball field was out in the kind of out in the woods. I, Brother Gary, you may know the softball field out in Pineville. Didn't have much cell service. Didn't have much cell service at all. And we had our, our pitcher from our church was from Venezuela. And uh, I knew he didn't have a, a, a smartphone. Okay. It was one of those flip phones. And uh, we got there and we're about to huddle up for a team prayer. And I'm looking around and, and I, don't, I notice Illyrio's not there. I say, uh-oh, Illyrio's not here, but I'm his pastor. And uh, I was playing first base, but I'm also his pastor, and I think, "Uh uh-oh, and this is not to toot my own horn this morning, but I I think, "Uh uh-oh, Illyrio's lost. I got to get out of here. I got to go find Illyrio. So I get in my car, and I drive to where there's better reception because, again, it's kind of in the woods, and the reception was bad out there, and I got to a place in Pineville where I could reach him on his phone, and I said, Illyrio, donde estas, man? Where are you at? Oh, Pastor, where are, your, where are you, Pastor? You know, he's, he, uh, he's just doing his best to get there. And then this is what he said. I, I said. I said, meet me at this building. I'm over here. We met. He didn't have GPS, okay? I know this is about 10 years ago or so. We met. He follows me to the field. And this is what he says. Oh, Pastor, I was lost, but I just knew my pastor would find me. I just knew my, I was lost, and, and his daughter was in the car too. He said, I told my daughter, Pastor's going to come find me. Listen, we serve a God that when we were lost, he found us. That's the heart of the Father. So when one of us are wayward, let's go after him because that's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of the Father. So Jesus knew that, he understood that. And so that's how he was able to. Go after and, and love the and tell the story of the woman at the well who had five husbands. And the l- woman she was living with was not her current husband. And Jesus knew that the lady caught in the act of adultery was guilty. But he told her, go and sin no more. That's the law. That's not all grace. That's, that's law. And, and, and then re- restoring Peter after he denied Christ three times. That's, that's truth. That's love. Because he knows the heart of his father. Number two. How are we going to love people well? How are we going to love people? Well, first of all, Jesus knew the heart of his Father. Secondly, Jesus knew the reality of eternity. This is big. This is big. Jesus knew the reality, and Jesus knows the reality of eternity. Luke 9, 56, again, For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Save them from what? Save them from sin. Save them from sin that corrupts and and damns our soul to to hell if we don't follow Jesus, if we're not born again. And Jesus understood about eternity. Let me give you quick eight things that Jesus said about eternity, all right? I, I don't know any quick way to do this, but number one, heaven is real. Jesus says this about heaven. Heaven is real. It's real. In John Chapter 14, Jesus describes heaven as a real place where he will live with his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I am going there to prepare a place for you, I will come back to receive you unto myself. So so heaven is real. Secondly, hell is real. Hell is real. Jesus says, Taught about the authority of hell, describing it as a blazing furnace, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Tell the story about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus and how the rich man died and went to went to hell and and looked up and saw Lazarus at at Abraham's bosom. Read the story, but we don't have time for all the details of all these stories this morning, but but you you see that this rich man was, was burning in hell, not because he was rich, but because he didn't know God. And there was a separation. And Jesus said that the, the Lazarus cannot go to where the rich man was. There was, this, there was this chasm that separated, and they were separated for all eternity. Hell's not a place of torture, it's a place of torment, because God's not there. His presence is not there. God's people are not there. Because they've been born again, they're going to heaven, and so hell is real. If you look up the nineteen hundred verses in the New Testament that Jesus is speaking, if roughly nineteen hundred, about thirteen percent of those verses deal with eternity. All right, so Jesus talked about heaven and hell quite a bit. Nineteen or thirteen percent of those nineteen hundred verses. So thirdly, Jesus talks about the fact that you can choose where you spend eternity. Jesus says you, you can choose where you spend eternity. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Fourthly, Jesus is the only way to eternity in heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus. Fifthly, Jesus says eternity in heaven is an instant gift, not a lifetime achievement award. Right? And, and, and not in those exact words, but we, uh, we, we see in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, that Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus says, living, number six, living with eternity in mind isn't always popular. It says in Matthew 7:13 wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it Jesus said but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it Number 7 you don't get to change your mind once you step into eternity Going back to that story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16 verse 26 between us and you is a great chasm and has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Number eight, Jesus invites everyone to spend eternity in heaven with him. Wow, that's good news. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Reality. Jesus knew the reality that we are all just a thin veil away from eternity. That thin veil is a heartbeat. It's the only thing that separates you and I from eternity right now, this morning, is a heartbeat. And Jesus understood that was real. That's real. And He came from heaven to proclaim that so that we would. Decide to follow Jesus. Say, Pastor, I thought you were talking about loving people. Yes, I'm talking about loving people. How did Jesus love people so well? Because he understood there's a motive to love people because we have to build God's kingdom because God sent me, Jesus. I'm paraphrasing here, but he sent me, Jesus, to, to die, to pay my life, and yes, I can love you well in the process. You have people that are difficult to love, in your family, at work, at church. No, not not this church. That that was that other church. Listen, Jesus understood the reality of heaven. Reality. It's kind of like when you and I leave Louisiana and we go on a trip out of state. We end up in Colorado. We were in Colorado couple summers ago, and we're driving. We're in Canyon City, Colorado. Lindy probably knows where that is. Canyon City, out in the backwoods of Colorado, in the middle kind of of the state. Beautiful. We're driving. The first thing we see in town as we come into town, it was the restaurant, in a restaurant called The Lost Cajun. (laughs) The Lost Cajun. I said, What you you would probably say if you saw that restaurant as well, they don't have any good Cajun food there. I bet you there's no good gumbo there. Why? Why would you say that? Why would you and I say that? Because we've had the real deal. We've had the real good Cajun gumbo in South Louisiana or etouffee or boiled crawfish right here in South Louisiana. We've had the real thing. Jesus understood what the real was all about. And while I'm chasing that, let me just add to that story a little bit. Many have asked me, Pastor, why do you love tacos so much? Why do we have to hear about them every Sunday? I was on a mission trip to Monterey, Mexico. Two of the guys that were in the dorm with us, and I've shared this story before I know, but two of the guys that were in the dorm with us were from Monterey, and they were sneaking out at 11 o'clock at night. And I said, adonde van, where are y'all going? They said, man, in their Spanish accent, you know, in Spanish, they were saying, we've been eating gringo food all week and we, we need some tacos. <laughs> so I said, I'm going with you. <laughs> Snuck out, we're like, you know, sneaking out of the door, looking at the security cameras. Oh, we go out this street on the, in Monterey, Mexico, and I get halfway down the street and I think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. It's not, <laughs> it's not safe. So we're walking. We get to this taqueria, and I'm telling you, it was the most amazing food, bite of taco I'd ever had in my whole life. I said, Taco Bell just went way down on my list, <laughs> way down. And the second night, we did it again. <laughs> but the, that, the third day, we didn't do it again, but we were driving by there, and the missionary said, whatever you do, Pastor, don't eat in that taco stand. That will make you sick. I didn't get sick because I have so much faith. I didn't get sick, but we've had the real thing in South Louisiana. You see what I'm saying. Jesus was able to love people so well because he understood reality is, or heaven, or eternity is real. It's not just something we talk about. Maybe, possibly, How do we know eternity is real? Well, certainly you have Scripture. You you have individuals that have passed and come back. We have their their eyewitness account as well, and and, and certainly we don't put that next to Scripture, but that just testifies of of what we already know. But the the main way we know eternity is real, one word, Jesus. Jesus how do you know there's a God? Jesus. How do you know God is real? Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus died on that cross and rose from that dead. And if that didn't happen, there's no God. But because it did happen, there's God. Jesus died on that cross and rose from that dead and sent the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts by faith. And so we trust that. We trust that. And it's real. And if he proclaim that eternity is real we trust his words we trust his words that it's real he knows the reality of heaven just as you and i know the reality of a good king cake (laughs) people don't even know what that is outside of louisiana different places the bible says life is a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes john james chapter 4 verse 14 it's a, it's a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. The Bible says that, in, in Psalm 144, verse 4, that our days are like a breath. Everyone, Just take a breath. That's, our, that's how our life is measured. Our life is measured, like a breath. Wow. The Bible says our life is measured like new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up, Psalm chapter 90, verse 5. In the morning, it springs up new, but by the evening, it's dry and withered. I didn't think I was going to get this old this fast, right? <laughs> but the Bible's true, right? Well, how was Jesus able to love others? He knew the reality of eternity. And number three, Jesus not only knows the heart of the Father, knew the reality of eternity, but Jesus knows the potential of of people. He has a potential of people. I believe that uh, Jesus saw people different than anybody else. Jesus saw right to their heart and could see us, you know, in and out. He could see what was on people's minds. He could, he could see, you know, he's in the temple and he sees someone put a, 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 a widow's mite in, in the temple treasury. How did he see that? He could see it all. He could see it all. But he could see the potential in people. Luke nine fifty six. the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then it says, then he went to another village. Why? Because he had people in his mind. He was going to, to save people. He's going to present the gospel. He's going to share the good news. He's going to another village. Like the example I gave in Zacchaeus, uh, about Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus was, up, was climbing this tree. And, and uh, you know, he, he says, you know, Today, salvation has come to this man's house. He he could see his potential even before this man said, I'm gonna give all that I receive or half of my, my income. And Jesus could see the potential in a tax collector. Someone that was typically in that day robbing from their people. You know, they were the Jews were under Roman rule, and the Romans designated certain Jews to go receive taxes for them. And but the Jews culturally began to despise the tax collectors. Y'all know, y'all have seen Chosen, right? (laughs) They began to despise the tax collectors because uh, they were essentially feeling like they were being robbed, and they didn't like being under Roman rule. That's who this person was, climbing this tree. And Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house today, Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. Everyone else saw him as greedy, but Jesus saw him as generous. Who else could have seen purity in a woman possessed by seven demons once she had been delivered? Mary Magdalene was used effectively in helping provide for the disciples and and do great things in in her ministry. The first to see Jesus raised from the dead. Who else could have seen boldness in a bumbling disciple, Simon Peter? But Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, Peter. He, He sees this potential. I, I love you, Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? But he's seeing this potential in Simon Peter. And let me ask you a question. Who else could have seen the potential in you? Who else could have seen the potential in me? I mean, uh, remember when you started in your profession, whatever it is, what you just started out, you were young, you you were green, you didn't know what you were doing, maybe newly married, you know, you were just so in love, and 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 you you just you were just starting out in life. Everyone else that was a little bit older could see some of that's going to wear off, or you're gonna, you're going to mature in this area. You're going to mature in this area, right? You you you, you have a you know a, a new children's pastor, a new youth pastor come in, and you you say, wow, they're they're really young. They're they're just starting out. But Jesus sees the potential that that's a Billy Graham or, or uh, you know, a Jensen Franklin or some, some mighty preacher for the kingdom of God. Jesus saw the potential in you and I. I love this scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in Him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Jesus saw your potential. 2,000 years down the road, and He said, one of these days, there's going to be a Hoyt. I'm dying for Hoyt. One of these days, there's going to be an Adam. I'm dying for Adam. There's going to be a Stephanie. I'm dying for Stephanie. There's going to be a Heather. I'm dying for Heather. There's going to be a Sawyer. There's going to be a Lindy. There's going to be an LJ. There's going to be a Huey. There's going to be a Robert. There's going to be a Clint. A Pie That I'm dying for. Jesus sees the Potential. And thank God that he, he saw the potential in you and I that when someone shared the gospel with us, we received that good news and we gave our life to Jesus Christ. Yes, i close with this story this morning. I wanted to record it in kind of last minute so I knew that it would only have been in the house. I thought about this this morning, but uh, it would have only been in the house and the online would not have been able to hear it. So I'll just share the quick story, but I encourage you to look it up online. As well, but uh, Pastor Robert Morris's testimony of, of his father, getting saved, and uh, if you've never heard that testimony, it's powerful. But 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 Robert Morris's grandfather. So Pastor Robert pastors a church in in near Dallas, Texas, and and uh, has an international ministry now. You you've heard the name, and but Pastor Robert's grandfather was working on the streets of Texas, on the highway department, and and a man was filling in asphalt on the roads and was sharing the gospel with Robert's grandfather, and, and uh, unbeknownst to him at the time, wasn't even born yet, Robert, and so he, he uh, I don't remember his name, let's say his name was Taylor, all right, this man began to share the gospel and said, would you come to my house later today, I want to I share more about this, and, and I'm going to try to make a long story short, but they were sitting in the house, and, and uh, Robert's dad was on the porch, and there was a screen porch. And uh, the man brought his grandfather to a place where he, a decision, would you like to receive Jesus right now? And uh, Robert's grandfather said, No, I'm going to wait. And the man sharing the gospel with him said, Well, if you ever want to, I want to say a prayer that you could pray like this. And again, Robert's dad was on the porch listening, and he was 16 years old. And his dad said the prayer. His dad said the prayer. He received Christ, unbeknownst to this individual that was sharing the gospel with Robert's grandfather. So a few years pass, and Robert's dad's serving the Lord. Robert gets saved, comes to know the Lord, and begins to share Christ and begins to being ministry. And Jesus sees the potential of all this, by the way, when this is happening. And still his grandfather's not saved. Still his grandfather's not serving the Lord. Gets up in age at a family reunion. His grandfather's in his late 70s now. Robert takes him to the side and shares Christ with him and, and, uh, and says, you know, a man shared this with me years ago. I wish I would have received Christ then. And Robert says, well, well, grandfather, you can receive Christ now. And he did. At that moment, he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Robert ends up getting the name of the man who originally shared Christ with his grandfather. Let's say his name was Bud, all right? So he calls Bud on the phone. Didn't know if he was still alive. Calls Bud. And he says, Bud, you shared. You don't know me, but you shared the gospel with my grandfather. And I want you to know that he received Jesus Christ as his Lord. And Bud says something to the effect of, you know, I have your grandfather's name in the back of my Bible, and it is not crossed out. He said, I have kept all the names of the individuals in the back of my Bible that I've shared Christ with one-on-one to pray a prayer of repentance. And I've prayed for your grandfather all these years. All these years I've prayed for your grandfather to receive Jesus Christ. Robert says, well, he received Christ as his Lord and Savior. Well, Bud says, Bud says, I've crossed out all the names in the back of my Bible. He said, I have one name left in the back of my Bible it's your grandfather's name he said when we hang up I'm going to get my Bible and your grandfather's name is going to be crossed out of the back of my Bible because he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior what a powerful story of potential we don't even know what effect we are making on people's lives when we share Christ when we love them when we when they come in from the community and we smile we welcome them to TFA, when we welcome them to a life group, when we say hello, you want to get some coffee as a young adult and come to Hunter and Samantha's life group, when we say hello, and it it may be that we hear 20, 40, 60 years down the road of the difference we made, but TFA Church, let's renew our commitment to love people well.